Welcome to the AWPT Podcast, a safe space for personal trainers and coaches who want to learn, grow, and feel heard in the fitness industry. Each week, we'll bring you industry-relevant discussions on all things coaching, mindset, and professional development, empowering you with the tools to be a competent and confident coach. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the AWPT podcast. Today, I am joined by Caitlin Pender, who is a women's health physio. And today, we're going to be talking about all things uh, postpartum training and, in particular, returning to exercise postpartum and that interim between our clients giving birth and then when they come back to us in the gym and training and what takes place during those six to eight weeks and what we need to know and what we can do to help and assist in that process. But before we get into all of that, I would love for Caitlin to tell us a bit about herself, her background with exercise, your experience with physio, all that good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Um, So my journey as a women's health physio, it started somewhat by accident. I started off as a physio working mostly in sport and I had quite a background doing gymnastics and diving and sport when I was younger. I spent a lot of time um, throughout university getting into yoga and Pilates. And then when I moved to Harvey Bay, which is for those who aren't from Queensland, they call it the place of newlyweds and nearly deads. (laughs) So there is a large retirement kind of population there. And when I moved to Harvey Bay, the women's health physio at the clinic I was working at She was about to go on maternity leave and needed someone to take over her caseload. So she basically begged me to go and do my training. (laughs) (laughs) And um, off I went to Sydney to do further training in pelvic floor physio. And I was exposed to this whole world of information that we just don't get taught as women about our own bodies, about our pelvic floor basically about all things poos, wheeze and sex is what I do. Yep, (laughs) Um, Love it. No, that's so good. And it's, you're so right that, you know, as women, let alone then as sort of health practitioners, you don't get taught about any of it in relation to your own bodies, whether it's to do with, you know, hormones, but even as you said, like on a pelvic floor level, we all hear these, you know, different whether it's horror stories or like things in movies about, you know, Kegel exercises and whatnot. And so we feel like we have some understanding of what it is, but in zero depth whatsoever. Um, And then, you know, you go into the coaching space, you know, from, from our perspective of the listeners of AWPT, but, you know, from your perspective as a health practitioner as well, like you go into that space and, you know, other people are asking you about it. And so um, what was the, I suppose, extra qualification or courses that you did to further expand your knowledge of, of women's health um, as a physio? Yeah, so at the time when I qualified, it was um, not being governed by, now it's switched to the Australian Physio Association that runs the programs, but it was a private course that I did. And then it was straight back into it. So it was it was very 
intense really because I went from a week of training to having a caseload where I'm doing internal assessments and having to confidently assess the pelvic floor. So a lot of it I learned from experience. Mm. Um, It was a massive dive into the deep end going from a training course to being expected to understand and know female anatomy and to do internal vaginal exams on women. Um, But I learned a lot in that year in Harvey Bay, working really closely with a a gynecologist who would refer all of her clients to see me for major urinary incontinence, prolapse, or um, major ab separation to see if we could manage conservatively. Most of these women were postmenopausal, so older women, and a lot of their symptoms had shown up because of poor antenatal and postnatal education, poor awareness of pelvic floor from that generation. It wasn't something that was spoken Mm. about. And so when I moved down to the Sunshine Coast and started my clinic, I wanted to start working more specifically in prevention and teaching women in pregnancy and in those early postpartum days how to understand their pelvic floor and what their body has um, the process the body has undergone so that they can optimize their recovery and so that they don't end up like so many of these women that I was seeing later down the track um, who were struggling with a lot of quite life-altering incontinence, you know, fear of going out because they weren't sure if they'd make it to the bathroom in time or leaking and they weren't able to run or participate in exercise or sport. Uh, or major pain with intercourse or things like prolapse, which is more experienced by sort of a heaviness or dragging sensation that they were constantly dealing with vaginally. Did you find there was a common theme, I suppose, of these women coming in to see you? Like obviously the common theme in part was age and their sort of their demographic and and upbringing, but did you find they came to you with certain beliefs or myths around the pelvic floor? Most of that generation had very little understanding of what the pelvic floor did, of its function, of potentially how to contract it, how to relax it, and a little understanding of the impact of changes in intra-abdominal pressure, so things like straining or the impact of certain um, instrumental births. So things like a um, forcep delivery or vacuum assist can increase a woman's risk of things for like prolapse. And they had little education at the time of birth. Some of them could, because they'd had multiple babies, couldn't even remember sort of whether they'd had, you know, tears mm. or the specifics around their birth. So Certainly when we reach the age of menopause, our estrogen levels drop off as women and this can be a time where symptoms can become more noticeable. But we can do so much now to educate women throughout their lives on their pelvic floor and teach them ways to optimise their recovery after birth to prevent some long-term consequences like prolapse, ab separation or incontinence. Yeah, amazing. And I suppose you you touched on how that experience in Harvey Bay and working with those, you know, postmenopausal clients and then 
coming to the Sunshine Coast and wanting to work on prevention and work with women as they're sort of going through it on educating them. Do you find that, I mean, you touched on how the slightly older generation had no real understanding of the pelvic floor. Is there any difference or have you noticed any difference between the clients that you work with now that are perhaps like the next generation of women? Yes, and there's certainly two sides to this. I think social media in some ways has significantly improved the awareness that women have of certain pathologies like abdominal separation or prolapse or the potential consequences on their pelvic floor of returning to exercise too early. So I think there is greater awareness, which is in some ways a good thing, but in other ways it also creates more fear and a lot of clients I have to re-educate them on what the current research says because a lot of them will spend time either getting research from Google, looking online or looking at um, influences on social media and the information that they're sharing might not be evidence-based and it might not be up to date. Mm. And so there's a lot of myths and this is particularly prevalent in the coaching industry. There's a lot of sort of fear and myths around what someone can and can't do in pregnancy and can and can't do postpartum that creates fear in women. And then that restricts their ability to um, move. So then they back off they stop training, they stop going to the gym, they stop exercising or postpartum, they start um, really overthinking about any slight niggle that they might've had down there or any vague slight sensation of heaviness in the pelvic floor. And sometimes I have clients who book in to see me at two or three weeks postpartum and they're convinced that they've got prolapse and I a lot of the time have to educate them that the pelvic floor has stretched in a vaginal birth up to three and a half times its original length. And Mm -hmm. so a degree of heaviness, if they are doing too much, uh, is normal. And that some of these things that we're actually over pathologizing now is because almost everyone knows that they need to get checked. And so there's a lot of people that are ending up with labels. And I don't think that, I think it's good to have awareness, but I think the labels that are creating fear in both trainers and the individual women has negative consequences as well. Yeah, definitely. And that's even something as a coach and like obviously being in the coaching industry that I've noticed because obviously, you know, the degree of education that you receive as a personal trainer doing your certificates. There's maybe like one module that covers, you know, training during pregnancy and there's really not a lot of information in it. So, you know, to some extent you can't blame trainers for for, for not knowing, but I mean, it's also, I think, a coach's responsibility if they are wanting to train with women in pregnancy to go out and find and, you know, get qualified in those certain areas. Um, but I remember like, I think I was working at an F45 and it's often, I think as coaches, we are one of the first people to find out about people's pregnancies. Like I know this in my own experience because women don't again know and feel fear around 
what they should be doing exercise wise. And so, you know, I've been told like the day after someone finds out that they're pregnant and, you know, Mm -hmm. they're not even telling their partner yet, or they're not even telling like their family and friends yet, obviously as well. And so I think as coaches, we have a responsibility to have accurate and up-to-date information so that we can help them feel comfortable. And we know that exercise um, and movement is such an important part in a healthy pregnancy. And so taking away a lot of the fear and myths around what you, you know, can and can't do. I remember hearing once from someone that, you know, pregnant women can't lift anything over their head or, you know, (laughs) there's obviously... (laughs) Like a lot of talk around, you know, the different ab exercises and core exercises that you can and can't be doing. And for so many people, it's just this blanket rule of absolutely nothing to do with the core for, you know, Mm -hmm. the full nine months that they're pregnant for. Um, And then obviously too, with, you know, social media, I think it also exacerbates for women what they think that they should be doing and looking like postpartum if they're following all of these influences and people are doing like videos on, oh, here's what I did to heal my ab separation. And like, God forbid you have ab separation. And then it, you know, brings up the question, well, what is ab separation and what can you do to prevent it or manage it and all of that kind of stuff as well. Um, so Absolutely. there's yeah, and I think so much there to unpack. Often then a woman is in the middle of the night, she's up feeding and she's looking on Google, like, when can I get back to exercise? What should I be doing? What shouldn't I be doing? And even things in pregnancy, like, should I or shouldn't I be exercising? And the really, the tricky thing is, firstly, that the research has changed so much in Mm. 50 years and particularly in the last 10 years around what um is and isn't safe in pregnancy and we are learning and understanding more and more and so someone looks on google and the blog is from 10 years ago it might say something that's completely conflicting to what they've been told somewhere else and then they end up feeling very confused and same with fitness professionals you know they might have been told by one trainer that they should avoid this and by someone else that they should do this and I think that also comes down to the fact that there is no one size fits all. Mm. Things like, for example, running and jumping in pregnancy. So if I have a first time mum who has had no pelvic floor symptoms, no leaking, um, no history of heaviness or any incontinence and she's been active all through her preconception and up until pregnancy, then she may well be able to keep running almost all the way through pregnancy if it feels comfortable in her body. But the advice that I'm going to give her is going to be very different to that of a third time pregnant mum who's had two instrumental births and gets leaking occasionally when she coughs and sneezes. The advice that I'm going to give her is going to be more related to the fact that those higher impact exercises could potentially worsen her symptoms related to her pelvic floor and in her instance maybe running is not the best form of exercise so we can't just google should I run in pregnancy yeah (laughs) and it's the same with um you know lifting things should I do to lift heavy weights in pregnancy well it all comes down to what is the previous 
experience, what exercise have they done in the past? Mm-hmm. And I guess while we're on the topic of pregnancy related things, let's go through some stuff for trainers in breaking down the sort of essence of simplifying training in pregnancy, because I think there is a lot of overwhelm and there's a lot of information. Yes, it is the trainer's responsibility to seek additional education so that when they do have a pregnant woman disclose for the first time that she's pregnant, they feel confident in saying, thank you for letting me know. This is how we're going to modify your program. Because if they even sense Mm-hmm. The tiniest bit of like um, fear or discomfort in the trainer, they will feel uncomfortable themselves training with them and then they're not going to feel confident. Plus they've heard all this information of what they should and shouldn't be doing and then they're not going to feel comfortable knowing what they should and, and shouldn't listen to and then they become overwhelmed or, or even fearful of, of exercise or movement. So I think unless there is a high-risk pregnancy and these women will know because they'll have been diagnosed by their obstetrician, they'll be picked up early and it's very unlikely that they'll be coming to um, a fitness class or a personal trainer. They, for those women that have any label that might consider them high risk, so things like incompetent cervix or placenta previa, any of these little conditions that the woman will know about. And it's not necessarily as a personal trainer, your role to pick up on those things. They're probably one, not going to be coming to you, but two, they'll be seeking the advice of someone who is more highly trained like a pelvic floor physio for their exercise who understands what the the implication of that pathology is in regards to exercise so if we just simplify to all non-risk pregnancies the guidelines recommend that women should maintain a regular amount of physical activity so i think the current um, guidelines recommend up to 30 minutes of moderate intensity exercise five to six days a week, which should ideally consist of some cardiovascular activity and some resistance training and flexibility work. So the guidelines recommend that women should be exercising because we know that the benefits of exercise far outweigh the risks. So we do want to keep women exercising and and that needs to be whatever they can fit into their lives. Women are busy these days, especially women with kids. So if if that means going to a gym class because that's what they love and that's what they get the most out of, then we need to support them to continue through that Um, journey in pregnancy and and enable them to modify the exercises to make it suitable for them the next thing is laying on their back so this is one that gets a lot of attention and Mm. a lot of fear Um, a woman and her baby's not going to drop dead if she just lays on her back for five minutes so let's remove some fear around it let's allow women to lay on their back for short periods but keep in mind that as the belly gets bigger particularly towards the third trimester, the weight of the baby, particularly if the baby is sitting high, when they lay flat on their back, it can put a little bit of compression. So the baby's weight can kind of push up against the major vein, the, just the inferior vena cava that comes out of the heart. And that's the one of the major veins that's also supplying um, the baby. So what they found is that there's a correlation with women that fall asleep on their back 
and the, a slight increased risk of stillbirth. Mm-hmm. So that's when they started studying the impact of laying supine and um, what that means in pregnancy. So when they're keeping in mind that when they're falling asleep on their back, their heart rate is really low. And then what they've found is that if there's a little bit of compression, so there's a restriction through this blood vessel, then the baby is actually getting less blood supply because their heart rate's already really low and there's less um, movement through the blood vessel. But if someone is exercising, like they're in the middle of a gym class and they lay on the back to do a couple of chest presses, their heart rate is already elevated. So the relative restriction is less. Mm. So particularly in yoga classes, it's something that I keep in mind. Usually in yoga, I'll get women um, to do Shavasana and sideline. And um, I think if they are resting or doing a meditation, then for, for particularly for any longer than five to 10 minutes, it's a good idea to try and get them into a different position. But if they are exercising for short periods of time, there is no research that says that they are not safe to lay flat on their back for short periods of time exercising. So um, whilst we don't want them to lay there for long periods, the odd exercise here and there is not going to be detrimental nor harmful to them or the baby. That's so interesting. And I think it's really helpful to know where some of those like myths or fears have come Come from from so that you can feel more comfortable debunking it. Because I mean, I know the research that, you know, you can be on your back for a small amount, but I didn't know where the fear of being on your back at all had come from. And it makes total sense as to why people were, you know, uncomfortable or, you know, afraid to lie on their backs because obviously, you know, there can be, you know, strong consequences to doing that if you're doing it for extended periods of time. And also understanding the actual specifics of why that is in terms of, you know, the, the vena cava and, and the pressure on the rib cage and the comfort levels and, and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think one of the other um, big myths or concerns when it comes to training during pregnancy is obviously also the the core work and even also training the pelvic floor Mm -hmm. um I suppose they're two separate things but I remember doing a um like one of your master classes and workshops and one of the things that you talked about which I found so interesting and has really stuck with me is when we think about the pelvic floor and pelvic floor exercises we automatically think of drawing up and tightening um and that can cause issues because a lot of women or the the trend when it comes to pelvic floor issues is actually hypertension and people being too tight um, in their pelvic floor. And so that can then have a major impact on pregnancy if people aren't learning how to relax their pelvic floor as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll talk to that. The In regards to pelvic floor training in pregnancy, I think it's important to understand what your scope of practice is. So for personal trainers, I don't think there's any reason that you should be incorporating pelvic floor exercises into their training programs because it's not something that you're professionally trained to do. Mm. I think that's where a referral and knowing and understanding that pelvic floor can have, like any other muscle in the body, such an impact in 
um, a woman's overall well-being and particularly implications to their birth outcomes and to their postpartum recovery, that it is your role to, if they haven't already seen, referred them to see a women's health physio or referred them to, um, I run an online program called Support Your Mind Core and Pelvic Floor, which teaches pregnant women how to activate their pelvic floor and teaches them how to switch it on and switch it off. And mm-hmm. they need education and exercise prescription of pelvic floor that's individually catered to them and that teaches them this awareness of the pelvic floor. But I don't think that that specifically is the role of the personal trainer. I think that is beyond their scope of practice, but it's knowing that there is people out there like myself and lots of other local women's health physios who have the expertise to teach these women how to properly activate these muscles. So kind of not specifically focusing on that and their training, thinking about the rest of the body and then allowing them to have a tailored program of exercises that are designed for them in pregnancy. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that's such an important point and something that we touch on quite a bit on the AWPT podcast is learning where your scope of practice lies and also Mm -hmm. ends and learning when it's, you know, unethical to continue training when you don't have, you know, the qualifications and you don't have the expertise and learning, yeah, when to refer and um, how to, I suppose, also like maybe the scope is is understanding a few sort of signs and symptoms of, you know, pelvic floor dysfunction so that you can then refer. Um, and that's perhaps, you know, where that scope is in terms of from a personal trainer's or coach's perspective, having an understanding of the pelvic floor and of, you know, certain pelvic floor dysfunctions so that you can obviously not diagnose, but lead the female client to seeking more information from someone who is qualified to diagnose and give a you know proper program absolutely and I think that is such a fine line as a Pilates and yoga instructor I get a lot of women I mean a client is so much they're going to often you know you're you act as so many hats to them you could be their counselor Mm. you could be you know hearing about all of everything that's going on in their body injuries you know there's just a million things that they're going to disclose to you but it's just knowing what is within your scope of practice in terms of you don't have to know everything about every single injury um, to be able to train them well because you that's not what you've been trained in you can't possibly know absolutely every medical condition that they might predisclose and what the implications are and absolutely every injury and how to treat it from a exercise prescription perspective exactly a hundred percent um so let's switch gears a little bit unless there was anything else that you wanted to touch on in terms of training um a woman throughout the pregnancy um, I'll just t- I'll touch on two more things quickly. So you mentioned yeah. core exercise in pregnancy, which I think a lot of coaches get confused with. So yeah. the main thing that we want to think about, and sometimes I'll get coaches and women to imagine this. So the muscles in pregnancy, all of the muscles expand, but the superficial layer of the abdominal wall, which is our rectus abdominis, our six pack muscles, Those muscles have this layer called the linear alba in between them, which makes them a six pack and not a three pack. 
And as the belly expands, if we think about two sort of muscles that run straight up and down or six muscles, I suppose, that run with this sort of layer of um, connective tissue or like a layer of blue tack in the middle, as the belly expands in pregnancy, particularly the middle part around the um, navel is going to thin and stretch the most like a blue piece of blue tack thinning out. Mm. Now, if we're doing a lot of um, any sort of loaded flexion or head lifting, crunches, curls, exercises like that, then once the belly is at that certain length, that's going to pull the origin towards the insertion. And if we think about these two muscles that are now kind of more concave, convex, rather than straight up and down, if we're pulling the origin towards the insertion at the widest part, that's actually going to pull apart more with a, um, a shortening, a concentric exercise. So not only is it going to do that, it's going to, um, like if you imagine rolling a tube of toothpaste, it's going to increase intra-abdominal pressure, which the baby's not going to love, which is why we don't do sit-ups and crunches and curls with pregnant women. But... Aside from that, we can do things that um, activate the core muscles, particularly the other core muscles. So the, the transversus abdominis, the obliques, we do want to use those um, other parts of the core and even learn how to use the um, rectus abdominis but in, in sort of modified ways that aren't shortening the muscle. So if we think about from personal training point of view there's sort of three ways that we can activate a muscle concentrically eccentrically and isometrically so when it comes to isometric things so like planks or um knee like hovers in a four-point kneeling position mm -hmm. anything isometric we're not getting that shortening but we are getting a slight increase in pressure but some women can manage that pressure if they're managing with good breath control so usually in terms of um Planks, this is again a, a, a confusing thing because there's no one size fits all. So I usually tell women, there's a, a prescription that I give for my pregnancy and postpartum programs of the five Ps. So I tell women to monitor five Ps, okay? There should be no pain, particularly more than like a two or three out of pain, a 10 pain. Mm -hmm. You know, they might feel a vague sensation of something feeling different, like the muscle working, yeah. but they shouldn't have sharp pain. They shouldn't be getting any pressure or prolapse symptoms. So heaviness vaginally, feeling like a tampon is going to fall out, like a real heaviness or pressure. So pain, pressure, peeing, they should not be wetting themselves. That's probably a sign the exercise is too hard for them <laughs> or too hard for their pelvic floor and they need a referral. Yeah. Pain, pressure, peeing, peeping, which is like coning or doming, which I'm sure um, you've seen videos of or seen from your clients if they're doing something that's that's um loading up their abdominal wall too much and they have thinning of that blue tack then sometimes that mid part of the abdominal wall will just poke out a little bit more mm -hmm. and we don't want excessive amounts of that so it means the exercise needs to be regressed so if you were doing a high plank with someone or they were doing push-ups on their feet for instance in the first trimester so they're getting to the second trimester and it's starting to feel a bit painful or a bit um, a bit of pressure, then maybe they need to drop to their knees. Yeah. So pain, pressure, peeing, peeping, and then popping. Popping is like they, it's an obvious sign that they're not controlling the intra-abdominal pressure well, or they're, um, for example, arching their lower back or their tummy is like 
I mean, obviously their tummy in pregnancy is popping out, but it's like they're not not able to control that pressure. And you'll you'll see that as a trainer often if someone, you know, pregnant or not, if they can't um, hold a plank, for example, without their tummy kind of really arching and sagging, maybe they need to regress to a knee plank or a, a um, four-point kneeling knee hover or an exercise that is a, a regression and slowly as they build strength, work on work towards the progression. So I think in pregnancy we can start with, you know, normal exercises and work backwards. We're kind mm. of slowly regressing as they become more and more pregnant when it comes to core exercise. And then postpartum we're working from the regressions and we're slowly rebuilding. So that's kind of how I look at core in, in terms of pregnancy. But again, it it's a hard one because there's not one size fits all. But in the most part, I think we do need to remove fear as long as we're not doing crunches and curls um, yeah. and it looks like they're managing their pressure well, they can breathe, they're not holding their breath, then do what feels good to them in their body and not causing them pain or symptoms. Don't and overcomplicate it and remove fear. Yeah, and I suppose that just really quickly before we move on to postpartum is just one more thing in terms of training throughout pregnancy is obviously being mindful to some extent of their breath um, in the sense that like in certain weightlifting or powerlifting exercises, we might encourage our gen pop clients to hold their breath to maintain a sense of intra-abdominal pressure when it comes to training throughout pregnancy. That is obviously not something that we want them doing. No, absolutely not. So they should be able to maintain a conversation or breathe through everything. And I think it's important to understand that the whole intention behind the training changes in pregnancy. It changes from wanting to build strength and get fit and lift heavier to being able to keep moving the body, to stay well, to stay fit and active but it's more about maintenance mm. maintaining what we can it's not necessarily about building so we try and maintain what we can and when it gets too hard or when they start experiencing um breath like they can't breathe through it then we might need to regress the weight so particularly when we are thinking about heavier weights a client needs to be aware that throughout pregnancy they may need to drop down weight to ensure that they're not breath holding and to ensure that they can do the movement pain-free and without any sort of heaviness or dragging symptoms on the pelvic floor. And I will touch on the fact that a lot of pregnant women experience pelvic girdle pain, which is mm -hmm. just when they might either get pubic pain or sacroiliac joint pain in pregnancy. And Again, this is not necessarily within your scope of practice. So that's important that if someone is experiencing pelvic girdle pain or back pain or hip pain or groin pain or crutch pain in pregnancy to recommend a referral to a pelvic floor physio for assessment and to be mindful that their physio is likely to recommend avoiding any asymmetrical exercises. So things like lunging yep. um, tends to make pelvic girdle pain worse. Things like squats tend to be fine because both feet are loaded evenly. So I guess if, if you're particularly working with a female population, that's something to also keep in the back of your mind. 
Yeah, no, amazing. I think, yeah, that's that's so much valuable information on um, training women throughout their pregnancy. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about postpartum because obviously you do a lot of work with postpartum mothers, particularly in that sort of six to eight weeks after giving birth and before returning to exercise. What do you do in that interim? And like, why is it important for mothers to you know, see a women's health physio and go through that process? Yeah, so often I'll see women as early as three or four weeks postpartum and we'll start them on a gradual program specific to their birth to rebuild the muscular strength um, slowly and gradually on the muscles that are most affected by the birth they've had and their pregnancy. And it's because if we consider, for example, an athlete who's had surgery or maybe they've just done their ACL, it's very likely that they've seen a physio, that they've had weekly consults for a period of time and they have a protocol where they're working the specific muscles that were most affected around the injury They have a graded strength program where each week exercises are getting harder and they've got a good understanding of how to support themselves back to return to sport. And this is the model of care that we need to adopt for postpartum women because a lot of them are getting back into exercise with no um, understanding of the importance of that gradual progression or they're being discharged from their, their, they're going to see their GP or their obstetrician at six weeks postpartum and they're given clearance to return to, to training or exercise. And their body's just been under a massive physiological change. They've birthed a baby, whether via cesarean birth or a vaginal birth, and there's been massive changes physiologically that have occurred in their body to do that. And in order to prevent long-term complications with the pelvic floor, such as things like prolapse or worsening symptoms like heaviness vaginally or urinary leakage or um, even just to support the cesarean scar healing properly and safely returning back into sport and exercise, it's really important that we do that with gradual progression and that we do that in a way that supports the mum to maintain some consistency so the course that I run is called restore your core and it's an eight-week program where pregnant women they'll have an app-based program and every day they have just a 10-minute exercise class that they do from home it starts very gentle with basic breath retraining pelvic floor recruitment learning to contract the deep transversus abdominis with their pelvic floor and then we start to integrate some pilates style exercise which is gravity neutral so it doesn't put any load on the pelvic floor and it doesn't put significant amounts of load through the cesarean scar and then we slowly start to re-recruit things like the glutes inside lying things like bridges things that are gentle and gravity neutral. And then over time, over the eight weeks, they have a class every day for eight weeks and we build on that. So we start to 
make things more functional. We add in things like what I call the change table routine where they do something similar to like similar to a lunge, I suppose, with a, a Pilates disc and they do that each time they're at the change table. So ways to integrate that little bit of movement so they're slowly rebuilding that strength of the, either the abdominal wall, pelvic floor, and they're doing it with good breath control. They're learning how to properly re-recruit their pelvic floor so that when they are ready, um, and it depends if they want to get back into group exercise then usually I recommend no earlier than 12 weeks but if it's with a trainer or if it's uh, their own program in the gym then as early as sort of six to eight weeks but normally I recommend that we do at least a month so if they start with me at four weeks then we at least do a month of home-based exercise first so that then when they do return to the gym they're able to use some light weights and they're able to get back to some functional exercise, slowly building and progressing either with their trainer or in a group fitness class. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting, I suppose, approach. And it makes so much sense in the sense of likening birth and like for what of a better word, like the physical trauma that you go through during a birth. Um, on you know the muscles and and everything like that and like the physical labor that that is to any other kind of injury management or um, you know if you do if you like run a marathon or a triathlon and you've gone through that huge you know labor you don't go in and the next day go straight back into your normal kind of exercise or you'll injure yourself and so yeah it makes so much sense I think because it's a physiological event, if it's a natural birth, then we underestimate the amount of physiological change that happens and takes process. So I don't like to, I think it's hard because likening it to an injury makes it seem like it's um, not physiological and it's not normal. Mm. I think it, the likening it to an injury just helps us to understand the extent to which we've had physiological change. So I think it takes you know it takes nine months for a woman's body to adapt to the changes of pregnancy and it also takes nine months on the other side Mm. for the woman's body to readapt back to a new variation of her normal but it takes more than just six weeks for the body to adapt to that change and if we want to get back into Um, running or weights training then we need to do that in a way that supports women and doesn't increase their risk of urinary incontinence prolapse um, worsening of any abdominal separation or particularly with injury like if we're not they're getting back into running and they haven't done any exercise for six weeks and they've got um, weakness in their pelvic floor because it's been massively lengthened in a natural birth, then they have a much higher risk of injury. So it's more taking care of these women to support them and minimise their risk of, of pain and injury as well as potential consequences when it comes to pelvic floor dysfunction long term. That's why trainers need to be aware of how much their bodies have gone through and support them in gradually and slowly rebuilding and working with a pelvic floor physio 
might be coinciding or in the earlier stages before then returning into their PT sessions or their group exercise classes so that they can feel confident as well as a health, as a fitness professional, knowing that this woman has done what's evidence-based to support herself up into the point where she's now in this class environment. And how do you recommend, I suppose, coaches go about having that, you know, postpartum consultation with their clients after they've returned from their physio and what are the sort of questions that they should be asking their client in terms of relaying information from their from their physios and and talking about their birth experience and everything like that yeah that's a really good question so I think if you're working with someone in pregnancy then definitely start the conversation then and um, I can, I'll give you links to all of the programs that I run for mm. pregnant clients as well as the Restore Your Core program. But if they can link up either with something like Restore Your Core or if they have a connection already with a local women's health physio that they can refer to, that it's it's really recommended that before they return to their training that they go and see either a local women's health physio or that they do some sort of program with a pelvic floor physio so that they can feel confident. So having that conversation with them in pregnancy mm-hmm. and, and suggesting, look, um, there are specialists that work with pre and postnatal women to do pelvic floor rehab and to help you re- recover your abdominal strength after a baby. And I really recommend that you go and do this program before we get back into our training or that you go and see this physio before you get back into our training just for clearance. And then the things that you want to find out when they do get back into exercise is what type of birth they've had because the if they've had a cesarean birth, we know that maybe their abdominal wall is going to have some extra weakness that we do just want to be a little bit more cautious of. And then we want to ask them throughout the sessions, you know, if we're, if we're doing a plank, for instance, and a woman's had a C-section or if we're doing like um, hanging pull-ups, we want to ask her, how does it feel in the scar? Does it feel okay? Is there, is there sharp pain? Are you tolerating this? Um, but if she's had a, a vaginal birth, then it's asking her, and either, in either circumstance, again, poos, wheeze and sex, is she getting any leaking when she coughs or sneezes? Is she experiencing um, pain with sex when she eventually gets back to intercourse? Most postpartum mums aren't even thinking about that. But, um, you know, if, if she's had like just little things that you can ask her, how are you recovering? Have you had any pelvic floor symptoms? The common ones are to do with poos, wheeze and sex. They might have um, fecal incontinence or constipation or hemorrhoids or um anal fissures or pain with intercourse or pain around their episiotomy scar or back pain or wrist pain or neck pain or shoulder pain from feeding and nursing so Mm. just asking them about how how does their body feel how does do you have any aches or pains are your wrists okay because you're holding a baby all the time um what's what type of birth did you have have you seen a pelvic floor physio did you know that pelvic floor physios They work with postpartum women in between returning to exercise to support that recovery. Um, And then just knowing that some of those things like poos, weeds and sex, any dysfunction with those things, those are so much, um, they're really kind of key cues that, that maybe they need extra support. But ideally we want all women to 
seek the support so that they can learn how to connect more deeply with their body, their pelvic floor, and optimize their recovery, even if they're not symptomatic. I think the other thing to keep in mind with postpartum training, and this is something that's really evident in my courses, is a woman postpartum is carrying around a baby who, let's say they're anywhere between three and a half to four kilos, and they're only getting heavier every week. So their arms naturally get pretty strong. Mm-hmm. We don't need to do heaps of arm work. Their posture gets terrible. So lots of back work. Yep. Um, lots of thoracic and chest stretches. Mm-hmm. And let's work the muscles most affected. So in pregnancy, their belly has done nothing but stretch for nine months. So let's shorten those abdominal muscles. Let's do crunches. Let's do um, shortening exercises, tabletop, knee hovers and progressing up to planks and whatever it is that you might do in your core programs. But let's let's re-strengthen the core because we know that's been so significantly affected and that's going to minimise their chance of getting things like lower back pain from lifting their baby all the time. And let's also focus a bit more on sort of glute stability and strengthening around the pelvis. Yep. Let's know that most of the time they're out walking with their baby a few times a week so their legs are probably getting a little bit of strengthening and their cardiovascular um, system is again getting a little bit of um, time there with with walking and with nursing and with lifting and that they may very probably be sleep deprived and breastfeeding and so their nutrient levels may be lower so they are a much higher injury risk candidate so let's not smash them yeah <laughs> um let's take time to gradually build their strength but let's challenge them enough that they feel satisfied because there's so many postpartum women who tell me they've done other programs and they're like it was just so boring it was yeah. just like laying your back and just um trying to draw your hip bones together and your navel to your spine for like six weeks <laughs> it's like no if we want muscles to get stronger we need to overload them so let's yeah. overload them and we want women to feel like they're making the most of their time too. Like the classes in my programs are only 10 minutes and that's because 10 minutes is hard to find as a postpartum mom. So Mm. if she's doing 10 minutes of exercise, she wants that 10 minutes to feel like um, it's been kind of good bang for her her time. Like it's effective exercise. So she wants to feel the muscles activating and there is plenty of ways we can still make that safe and do it with good breath control and do it in a way that's not putting extra load on her um, ab separation or pelvic floor. Yeah, I think that's such a good point too because, I mean, I haven't worked with with too many, you know, pre and postnatal clients, but I can understand as well that there's so much of a, obviously, like a psychological impact and a social impact that comes with being a new mum as well and, like, an identity shift that that goes alongside that. And so I think, too, with the whole, you know, doing a program where you feel like you're doing nothing, um, especially for women who are used to doing some degree of exercise and, and that's so important for their mental health and, you know, they have a certain amount of identity associated with their, like, fitness levels and stuff like that. I think it, it's probably very important for these women to feel like they're not just being, like, handled with really kit gloves. and Yeah, absolutely. And I think... It's such a fine line because 
they want to feel like they're doing the right thing for their body and that they're being safe but they Mm. also do want to like one of the main concerns for my postpartum clients if I really break it down is the appearance of their belly because Mm -hmm. the belly has changed it's morphed it's stretched and they're used to having you know, a belly that doesn't look like it does now. And there is a huge motivation behind them returning to exercise that is purely driven from their aesthetics and from the way they look because they're not used to looking like this and they want to get back to, um, you know, their pre-baby weight. And I don't think it's really important for postpartum women to not um, restrict their diet because as I said nutrient depletion is so common so we don't want to come from a place of restricting calories or nutrients Mm -hmm. and um we don't want to kind of overdo the cardio side of things because often you know jumping and running is going to put really high load on the pelvic floor and and they may already be so exhausted um, and fatigued but we still want those women to feel like they can exercise safely and that, they, that the exercise is going to be effective in um, helping them to get back to those their, their sort of their goals. And I think the, in my programs, I try and focus on the intention being feeling good and mm-hmm. wellness. And the things that come with that are, um, you know, more toned muscles, but it is good not to for the sole focus, even though we know deep down in a lot of women's and clients that we're seeing, it is to um, lose some of their pregnancy weight and, you know, have a more toned tummy again. If we can just switch the intention focus to being, let's make you feel good again. Let's like enjoy exercise. Let's take this 10 minutes for you time because there's not a lot of time in the day that they do something for themselves and let's enjoy it. And the benefits that we get with that are going to bring you close to your goals, but they're not from a place of like, you know, punishment or having to restrict mm-hmm. over-exercise. They're from a place of love and enjoyment and they're letting go of expectations because they know that they're just in a season of their life where they can't necessarily exercise as much as they may like to. And, and how do you go about creating that change in mindset do you find that it's to do with like different wording that you use when it comes to you know writing your programs or um, delivering your programs like not using sort of words like toning and fat loss and all of that kind of stuff yeah absolutely I think it it comes from language Um, and it's also I just often remind my clients um, that let's Focus on enjoying these exercises and just doing your best with what we can and making the exercises challenging. I do make my, like my classes are hard. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but they're safe. And yeah. um, the women feel like they've, they've done something. They feel like, yes, I have got, I've just done a really good strengthening class yeah, whether it's Pilates or bar or yoga, they feel like, yeah, I've really challenged myself. And I think that helps them to feel satisfied that they are working towards their goals. But we're not necessarily doing it from an intention of um, restriction. We're doing it by adding in um, exercise that's safe for their body. 
Yeah, I think it's such an interesting conversation. We had one a couple of weeks ago on this podcast with a dietitian about, I suppose, the line between helping clients achieve their aesthetic goals, because in some ways, like it's valid for them to want certain things in terms of societal Mm -hmm. conditioning, but then also not perpetuating those sort of harmful diet rhetoric and like um, diet culture norms in this especially again when it comes to new mothers and you know they get enough of this whole bounce back culture from social media and from you know family and friends and stuff like Mm -hmm. that they don't need it from their coach but it is I'm sure such a fine line between wanting to help your client if they do come to you with this sort of underlying goal but then helping them sort of shift that mindset over the course of working through you from wanting to, you know, lose baby weight or bounce back and all of that kind of stuff to appreciating their body for what it's done and then feeling stronger and how that's going to impact them and their baby and all of that kind of stuff. So I think it's such a key piece that we don't necessarily think about when it comes to pre and postnatal training we often think about all of those things like oh can I put them on their back or can they do a crunch and and all of this kind of stuff but it's also like that how can you support them psychologically as well obviously again mm-hmm. within your scope but yeah especially when as coaches we do play such a key role in our client's life you know when they're seeing us several times a week and and they do put a lot of faith and trust into that we want to be there to support them not make them feel worse and more fearful on all of those different aspects of yeah absolutely and I think just reminding them how far they've come and and showing them and that's where feeling confident to progress exercises and as I said monitoring those five p's pain peeing popping um peeping and pressure helps them to feel like they can monitor their symptoms and that they can be in the driver's seat they're not like reliant on someone else to tell them Mm. what they can and can't do and they understand that one size fits all is not an approach that works for the pre and postnatal space because one exercise might be fine for one woman and not as um supportive for another woman so it's really about feeling confident in your ability as a trainer to progress her exercises because then you can show her like often we'll start with women just doing um like a bird dog exercise lifting opposite arm and leg and then we'll work towards kneeling knee hovers and then eventually we're in full plank and we're holding for 30 seconds and she sees that progress and that makes her feel good because every week it's getting harder and she's like wow I couldn't actually do this last week yeah and I think feeling confident as a trainer to know that you can actually push some of those boundaries, monitoring the five P's or knowing that she's seeking um, adequate support from a public floor physio, either coinciding with your training or beforehand to know that you can safely progress and that you can really push those limits. So she feels like, wow, I am really improving and I'm working towards my goals and I feel really good just getting out and exercising again and and working these muscles that I maybe haven't worked for the better part of nine months. And I suppose to wrap up today's episode, and you you touched on it then in terms of this confidence piece for coaches, how do you think coaches can go about feeling more confident when it comes to training pre and postnatal women? Don't be afraid to ask questions. 
So don't be afraid to have conversations, particularly around poos, wheeze and sex. Yep. But I guess like a, a lot around um, urinary incontinence, don't be afraid to ask a client, do you ever get leakage when you do any of these exercises? I, and just to say to them, I really want you to let me know. We're going to monitor you know, first of all, asking them, have they seen a pelvic floor physio and recommending that they do a program like Restore Your Core, they go and see a physio. Then once you know they've done that, if you have a local one, you might be able to network with them. And, and um, I often, um, fitness professionals that regularly refer to me, I'll write a, a handover to them so that mm -hmm. they know specifically what they can work on. Um, but if you don't necessarily have that relationship, just making sure the woman feels like she has had that um, professional support and guidance and then asking questions so throughout this program I want you to notify me if you get any sharp pain particularly around your cesarean scar or if you get any sharp pain vaginally um, or if you have any sort of real heaviness vaginally that doesn't really feel right or if there's any pressure or leaking or, you know, where I'm going to monitor for any doming and have a look if there's, um, you know, sort of poor management of intra-abdominal pressure control, like arching the back or something with a plank or with tabletop. Hmm. So just asking questions and really communicating with your client because she'll be able to tell you so much. She'll be able to tell you if it feels good. She'll be able to tell you if there's pain. If there's yeah. not pain, if there's not pressure, then just assume that, as long as you're asking questions, if it feels good to her, then more than likely you're doing more good than harm. Okay. Yeah. I think for so long we assumed, you know, if we don't know, it's better to be safe than sorry because we may be doing more harm than good. As long as we're asking questions and communicating and we know that she's had that sort of professional support as well, let's switch that to assuming that we're doing more good because most yeah. exercise, even when it comes to prolapse and ab separation, most exercise is still going to be better than no exercise. Mm -hmm. So let's assume that in most cases, even if we're doing something that we're like, oh, I'm not sure, if we're communicating with the client and they're feeding back that it feels good, that we're doing more good than harm, that we are supporting them, that they feel good, and let's do it confidently. Even yeah. if at the back of our you know, heart we're not entirely 100% confident, let's instill confidence into our patients because that's going to make them feel good and confident and that's going to keep them moving because all of the research that's coming out in the last three years around prolapse and ab separation, it actually says that the more we exercise um, and even like pretty high, um, higher impact and harder core exercises, they are having good results. They're making women feel less symptomatic they're reducing urinary incontinence they're helping them um to minimize back pain and heal ab separation so let's for the most part assume that if we're working with a client and we're working on strengthening her core and we're communicating and we're getting feedback and she ideally has has um done a program like restore your core or she's seen a pelvic floor physio um let's assume that everything that we're doing is supporting her. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I think a really big part of that, as you said, is feeling comfortable to ask those questions, especially like we touched on it at the start in terms of, you know, pelvic floor and the topics surrounding that being somewhat taboo. If you're not comfortable talking yourself, like with, you know, yourself, understanding your own body or with friends or family, or then again, with your clients around peas, poos and sex, 
it then makes it really tricky to have those conversations that you need to be having with your clients in order to make sure that they are safe and feeling okay. Um, so it's and also, in the postpartum yeah. space, like it, they're not going to care. Like yeah. they've just birthed a baby out their vagina. They've had so many vaginal exams. They, they most of the time, they're just not going to care at all. They'll talk so openly about it and they'll just be glad you ask. And it'll just ensue more confidence. They'll feel more confident working with you because they're like, wow, like this, this trainer really is going into a lot of detail. I feel so much more confident knowing that she's asking me these things. And occasionally they'll be like, yeah, actually, um, last week when we did some squats, I, I leaked a little bit. And you'll be like, oh, well, like, thank you for sharing that. And I would highly recommend that you go and see a pelvic floor physio or you start a yeah. program to re-strengthen your pelvic floor because that is so important because so many women... Um, even today, I actually had a client who said um, she's just gotten back to running and she's having some leakage and she is like, does this, is this a normal thing? Like, is there a lot of women out there that get this or is it just me? Mm. Like, is no one talking about it? Because I yeah. literally have never heard this happening to other women. And I'm like, yeah, it's happening to other women. It's just that they're not talking about it. Yeah. Um, so you can never assume that, that it's not happening until you ask and have the conversation. A hundred percent. So to wrap up today's episode, you've touched on your restore your core, your restore your core program a couple of times throughout the episode. Can you talk a little bit about what that is, as well as any other programs you offer, and where where we can all find you if we want to be, you know, referring our clients to you? Yeah, amazing. So um, you can find me on Instagram. It's her women's health, and on my website. I am in the process of putting together some trainings for fitness professionals and Pilates instructors for pre and postnatal. So um, stay tuned for that. And for pregnant women, I have uh, two programs that I offer in pregnancy. One is support your mind, core and pelvic floor. And it teaches women about how to safely modify exercise in pregnancy and teaches them how to connect with their pelvic floor. The second program is prepare and that is all about um, preparing the pelvic floor for birth, education on childbirth, perineal massage, helping them feel confident and prepared physically and, and mentally for childbirth and then restore your core, which all of the programs are based in an app and they receive short videos, maximum 10 minutes, lots of educational videos and short classes that are either Pilates style, bar or yoga inspired kind of exercise classes. And they are aiming to do just 10 minutes each day postpartum in pregnancy, more focuses on pelvic floor and, and different breath techniques that they can use for pain management in labor. So it's more about in preparation, it's more about um prenatal yoga, preparing the pelvis and the hips for the flexibility that's required for childbirth. And then in the earlier stages, it's learning about pelvic floor and, and how to support themselves through training. So they can do that um, coinciding with their training programs. And then, as I said, postpartum, restore your core. It's something that I recommend. And I will link, actually, I've got um, three guides that anyone, any of your clients that have recently given birth, you can send to them. They can download 
a guide on um, recovery after vaginal birth, recovery after cesarean birth and recovery after vaginal birth if they've had um, complications like instruments or episiotomy or tearing. And there's lots of tips on safe return to exercise there. Then from as early as four weeks, they can um, sign up to do the Restore Your Core program, which they can either do the ultimate package that provides um, telehealth physio as well. So we go through a thorough history of the type of birth they had and we tailor it specifically to their body. Or they can do the pre-recorded program, which Again, I still tailor it. They fill out a form afterwards with the type of birth they've had, how far postpartum they are, and if they have any concerns, any leakage, any symptoms. And then I still tailor the program to them. But um, that is assuming that they may have already seen a, a local physio for an internal exam. So they can still do the program even if they've had that internal assessment face-to-face. Mm-hmm. And then they might work through that for the eight weeks and then get back into their sort of gym or training program around 12 weeks. And then they, they've really supported the gradual return to exercise and movement. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, there's so many different offers there. And I know, like in my own experience, I refer so many of my pregnant clients um, or people that do my classes even just to follow your page because there's so much education there whether it's for the clients but also again from a coach's perspective in terms of feeling confident um, to be working with women throughout pregnancy part of it I think definitely is having a degree of understanding of, of what's involved which you know we've obviously talked about in this podcast but you go into so much more detail on your socials as well um, so following that, I would definitely recommend and then encouraging your clients to follow that and then sort of seek out the different offers and challenges and everything that you run as well. And um, I will link all of that in the show notes for those, for this episode. So including all of those different guides that Caitlin has mentioned. And I think the amazing thing about the programs like Restore Your Core um, and the pregnancy programs as well is that, as you said, they can be done online. So, you know, Caitlin is based in the Sunshine Coast, although she's currently in Japan. We're doing this recording um, on Zoom while she's in Japan. Um, But it does mean that you remove that barrier of, of needing to be working with Caitlin or referring to Caitlin if you're not in the Sunshine Coast, although I know we have a big audience of our AWPT community that is in Queensland and is in the sunny coast. So if you're looking oh, for great. a physio to refer to, then Caitlin is your gal. Um, but yeah, we will have all of that linked in the show notes. And is there anything else that you wanted to finish up with on the episode? Um, I'll also share with you the podcast that I have, which is Mm. Things They Don't Tell Her, so that anyone who is interested can check out some of my episodes. Perfect. And again, I will have that link down below. But that is all for today's episode of the AWPT podcast. Team, we hope you enjoyed and you got a lot of value from that. I know I did. Um, And we will chat to you or I will chat to you all next week. listening to the AWPT podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and fellow coaches and subscribe for weekly episodes and content.